You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Welcome to another episode of the Tabletop Arcanum Podcast. My name is Justin, and we have... And, uh, Ricky. So, last time we were talking Gen Con Day Zero slash Day One. Yep. This time we're looking at Days Two, Three, Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get there, I kind of want to touch base and catch up. It's been a little bit of time since we last sat down. What have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of Harry Potter uh, Hogwarts Battle uh, to the point that I've had to get card sleeves because second player keeps throwing cards into various uh, vegetable dips. Other than that... (laughs) I'm going to stop you there. There's more than one dip incident, or are we just talking the one dip incident? The one, but I mean, history's bound to repeat itself. There's usually dips around. Okay. I think that we'll have to talk about that concept in a future episode. Yeah. Protecting you know, your goods. Protecting your goods, upgrading your games, things of that nature. Yeah. Of, you know, sleeve or not to sleeve, that is the question. Other than that, I've mostly been painting my uh, Star Wars Legion figures, or Star Wars Legion minis. Okay. It's, How are those coming? Uh, I've gone way too deep. I now own almost everything out, and... Uh, I bought an airbrush. I brought an air compressor. I've gone too far, and I'm not turning back now. Okay. Uh, any particular squad that you're working on painting right now, or is it just kind of building and amassing them? I built the core set, and uh, the one thing I like doing is, since I built them, primed them, I tried shaving down all the mold lines, but... Uh, some of them are sneaky, and you really don't see them until you prime them. So at least now... Uh, I can see where they are on the Rebel Troop in the original core set. Now I have a second box of them. I'm going to go back and make sure double hit all the lines to make sure they come out nice and smooth. To answer your question, core set. Okay. What else? Any other gaming? Or is that just kind of the the benchmark you've hit? Uh, It's the benchmark. I mean, uh, my girlfriend's addicted to Harry Potter now. So anytime we're together, she demands that we play... Uh, as many games as we can get through in a night. Okay. So that's uh, that's slowly turning into my life until I can get her onto a another game. How far have you guys made it in that story? Because the I've played it myself, mm-hmm. and it models kind of the books as far as like game one, game two, game three through seven, mm-hmm. and each one kind of advances your your plot line a little bit mm-hmm. um and the characters and the cards and things are going to get upgraded and you know you don't he who should not be named doesn't come up until like game five because that's when he shows up in the books as an mm-hmm. actual villain so how far did you guys get played from from game one all the way to six twice we keep stopping at six mostly because by the time we get to six it's 11 o'clock at night i have work in the morning and game seven looks like a whole different beast the nice thing is they keep each game, I'd say every other game, they kind of add an extra mechanic to it, which kind of keeps it interesting. So you play through games one through three. They're very simple to get into, very easy to follow along. 
And then they slowly start adding extra and extra rules, start putting out more villains, and the game goes from being a few minute, you know, very quick run through to something that may take you an hour to play through a, a game. Okay, that's a little bit of gaming in the last two weeks. I I personally have kind of gone in the deep, deep end. Last time we were after we were done recording, we busted mm. out 5-Minute Marvel for a couple rounds just to... They have something quick knock around because mm-hmm. we've been talking about games. So it was, then it was natural sitting in a room full of games that we busted a game out and played. Um, yeah, I don't think that me and you even asked if each other wanted to play it. It just kind of appeared on the table, and before I knew it, we were already on our second round. Right, and that that's why I like uh, like about it is it is that fast. Like, okay, this is how we play and go. Mm. Five minutes later or less, because you you can beat it in less than five minutes. That's mm. the, the whole point. Uh, but no game lasts more than five minutes. So, yeah. uh, either win or you lose by that. The next day, I went to my local game store. Um, met up with a couple friends out there. Uh, they played Big Trouble in Little China. Mm which was a very interesting co-op game. And then more and more people showed up because that was the board game night there. Mm -hmm. So we ended up getting, I think it was six or seven players um, to play Hail Hydra. Oh, how was that? Hail Hydra is very interesting. It's in the vein of that secret Hitler resistance, that social deduct, uh, hidden team that your one group's trying to figure out who's the bad guys. Mm. And globally, everyone's trying to, do something so the the art the the components are pretty nice in uh, uh hail hydra one of the things that they do a little bit differently is everybody's a hero or a kit marvel character mm-hmm. um whether it be cap or iron man or hulk or hawkeye or black widow whoever mm-hmm. um you play as and everyone kind of has like their own little superpower that they can activate once per game so there's a little bit of extra mechanics in there but ultimately um, everyone's throwing vote card or points cards, either positive or negative points, mm-hmm. to defeat the villain that's attacking New York. If you're Hydra, you want to tank that so that the villain isn't defeated, so that they do damage to New York. If New York is destroyed, Hydra Boy. wins. And then at the end of every round of battling that villain, once mm-hmm. they're defeated, there's a voting time frame where you go, okay. Um, you're Hydra, or I'm totally not Hydra, or mm. whatever, and then it's a group vote of who gets to sit out the next round, mm-hmm. which, if you vote out Hydra and your shield, that's great, because then they can't tank you. If you vote out someone that's on your team, well, that's that makes it tougher for you. Yeah. Um, so we played, actually, three rounds of that, like, kind of back-to-back. Everybody was really enjoying it, and we kind of got into the swing of things. I will say Hydra won a lot. Uh, they won all games. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was... I don't know if that game set up for S.H.I.E.L.D. to be doing uh, doing it well, or our Hydra guys were just really good. Were you uh, Hydra for any of those games? I was not. Not a single game I was Hydra. Sorry. <laughs> so, it happens. Mm. Then, the next night, I, I actually went out to another buddy's place. Uh, we played Professor Evil and the Citadel of Time. Mm. which is another uh, kind of medium-weight co-op game. Um, and then, because he picked it up at Gen Con, we busted out Magic Maze. Mm. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, what Magic Maze is, but we played like three rounds of that, and I, I for some reason, I really, really like that game. Mm. And uh, we also, he also had picked up uh, a game called Now Boarding. If you've ever been stuck at an airport, mm. 
This is a game that will either go, wow, I completely understand what's going on, or will infuriate you because you are airlines where random passengers will pop up with destinations and the goal is a group effort to get them to their destinations. Between rounds, you only have so many spaces you can move, only so many passengers you can carry from airport to airport. And if someone is at an airport at the end of the round, they get anger cubes. And after so many anchor cubes, they file complaints. And too many complaints, uh, the entire airline shuts down. It, it's a little tongue-in-cheek strategy game, but it also has that kind of real-world element. And then the mm-hmm. next couple of weeks, I've started traveling for work. So I started like thinking about the game while I was sitting in airports waiting to board. And then went, oh, wow, no. I'm wondering where this uh, inspiration for this game came out of. Because I think I feel it right now. Um, continuing, I went back to the same person's house, um, the next day. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking like Friday, Saturday, Sunday here. Mm-hmm. Busted out, a, uh, another, another round of now boarding cause we didn't do well the first time. So he and I sat down and went, okay, let's try it again. Um, he also got a game called zombie 15. Mm-hmm. He said it's a soundtrack based co-op game where you have 15 minutes to play the game. Each scenario has different objectives. You're a bunch of kids in a zombie apocalypse. Oh, Early of game with scenario objectives are, hey, let's go to the police station and because there's zombies everywhere where we should probably go get stuff. Um, and then you find out that this, the police station sucks. And then you're trying to get out of town. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there's sound cues in the soundtrack of like a zombie crawl. And when that happens, you flip a card and that many zombies end up in your space. However, it is all live turns. So I'm taking my actions and as soon as I say your turn, it is now your turn, and if the growl happens on your turn, you it affects you opposed to me. But if I don't say it yet, it still affects me. Oh, so very it's a very quick mm-hmm. live game. And then I promised myself that I would do it this year, and I finally cracked it open. Um, we started Pandemic Legacy. Oh. And it's a way more amazing than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's one of those games that I kind of kicking myself that I've been sitting on and waiting to find that perfect group. If this is you, and like, man, I really need to find that perfect foursome to play this game with. If you and one other guy or gal will sit down and do it, pull the trigger, don't wait, play this game. Mm. Um, you can always add people later. You know, the game scales just like regular Pandemic. Mm-hmm. So whether you're two players, three players, or four players, it will change. Other players coming in later only really just have missed out on opening some boxes and kind of getting a little bit of narrative, but you can easily fill anybody in and what's going on and what's happened. Mm -hmm. Because you play 12 months worth of games. Um, You have two attempts at each month. So if you win, let's say you you start the game in January, Mm -hmm. you play your first January game. You win, you move on to February. But if you lose, you have a second attempt at January Mm. before the game advances. Now, if you lose... Both games of January, you're automatically going to February. So in the box, you have a perfect run of 12 pandemic games mm-hmm. or a terrible loss of 24 in a row. <laughs> That's going to be what you're going to get out of this box. And you, most people are going to sit in the middle. You're going to, depending on your game, depending on how it plays, you're going to be one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You might be a little bit less. You might be a little bit more. I don't know if I... I would be shocked to know if anyone did a full 12, 12 of 12 and just beat every month because some of the twists, the game shifts halfway through the first game. And oh, like, wow. 
So this is what we're doing. It's a regular game of Pandemic. Do it. Wait, just kidding. We're, we're going to change something. Um, and it does that a couple times. The next weekend, uh, we did a Game of Thrones LCG tournament at the local store. I had mm-hmm. nine players show up. Um, I ended up being fifth. About, okay. about good for me, because normally I'm at the bottom. I'm mm-hmm. usually like 0-4, 0-3, whatever we're playing. Um, I actually won a couple rounds that time, so I ended up middle of the pack. We had a really good turnout. A lot of the guys were very happy with it. Um, and then more people showed up because it was Labor Day weekend, so great. We had more gaming. I got to try out Dinosaur Island. Mm-hmm. which is a worker placement that is totally not a ripoff of Jurassic Park, but really is because it's so 90s, it hurts. And then also, speaking of starting campaigns, the Rise of Fenris expansion for Scythe came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started episode one of that too, which, much like Pandemic Season 1, don't sit on it, wait, just go. Uh, people can jump in and jump out of that campaign too. Mm-hmm. You're missing a little bit of story, which anyone can be caught up on. And... The other big thing about it is the first game is really just a, a regular game of Scythe. And nothing's really going to change what you're doing on that first game. We haven't moved on to episode two yet, so I'm hoping that we get to that very soon because I really want to know what happens next. Uh, and then because it was Labor Day weekend, I went back and played more Pandemic. Of course. We are literally halfway through the Legacy game already. Um, it's been going well, I will say. We, we, we've only lost February. Um, and since we lost February, we did it again and, and won February the second time and then had a really good string. Um, we should not have won April. I'll phrase it that way without any spoilers. Everything that could have gone wrong was going wrong and we pulled it out of the skin of our teeth. So anyone else who's listening has thought about that. Good luck. I, I wish you the best and... Hopefully, uh, you get April in the bag, and and it's not that bad for you. And then um, we had our local LCG night this week, too, Mm -hmm. which um, I was actually in town for this time, so I was able to play a couple more games of Game of Thrones. Um, Playing, I uh, picked up and busted out the intro, one of the intro decks, Mm -hmm. uh, and just played purely the intro deck, and not bad. Um, I'm not going to say they're top-tier tournament decks, but they're not garbage either so it's mm-hmm. a very if you're considering getting into the game the eight factions they just released as intro decks fifteen dollars pick the faction that you like run with it mm-hmm. um they tell you a little there's an insert in there that kind of gives you a little insight of oh if you want to expand this deck here's our suggested packs that you pick up because there's cards in these that mm-hmm. are going to help what's already here so they kind of give you a little bit of direction where to buy, um, where the game's been around for a handful of years now. So getting into an LCG after it's off the ground is a very tough spot to be in based mm-hmm. on the entry point of what's going on. And that has been my two weekends of gaming. Way to make my two weeks of gaming seem pitiful, but... You painted. I painted, yeah. No, I, I've done a lot I will tell you I did not paint at all in the last two weeks. Yeah. So my, my hobby painting has kind of died so you know it, it you got it's a give or take sort of hobby so yeah. some days you you game for all weekend and then other days you don't i just want to play legion so bad and then there's the whole significant other um factor mm-hmm. where you know if you think work and life balance is a thing mm-hmm. 
your significant other who may or may not be into the hobby with you mm. is also a big balance game. So always want to make sure that you do things um, that both of you are happy with and make those compromises, make those things. So uh, I believe that brings us to main topic, if I'm not mistaken, as we did our little recap of what we've done. We did want to jump back. Uh, we forgot to mention that we did play one game at night on Gen Con Day 1. Correct. A little edit to our last episode where we kind of closed out the night and went, hey, we went home. Um, we actually met up with a bunch of friends that we had traveled down with and were staying with and played a game that he picked up uh, right there at the con. He's been a, a fan of the, the company for a couple of years, uh, Van, Riders, uh, Van Rider Games. And they have recently had dropped the Kickstarter and was selling the big score, mm-hmm. which was like a heist game. We busted out, I think we played, what, five players? Okay. Yeah, I believe five players. What's your thoughts? <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. He had played the demo before buying the game, but when we actually sat down and played, he didn't play with us. He just kind of gave us a few pointers, and then we jumped into uh, into it together few bumps but it was a lot of us getting used to the rules but after a turn i want to say after the second turn we were we were moving pretty quick and we we kind of figured out exactly what we needed to do i had a lot of fun i would i would like to play a few more at least a few more rounds of that game that i I wouldn't mind picking that up and putting that in my collection okay so our listeners can kind of get a big idea i Mm-hmm. The game is a heist game. You're you're a criminal organization. Everyone kind of plays their own color. There's there's a little bit of differences on them, but for mm-hmm. the most part, everyone's kind of doing the same thing, and you're trying to build your heist crew. The first phase of the game is a very much um, card drafting. Everyone's kind of working towards the same common basic jobs before you actually rob the big bank and get the big score. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, you're kind of drafting different colors and different types of characters and, and moving through a, a, a round or two of those. Um, and that kind of gets you set up to, for the big score, mm-hmm. um, gives you a little bit of feeling for the game. And then three I, rounds. I believe it was three rounds and, um, they had a little extra mechanic in there that you could save, uh, specialized, uh, henchmen for the last round. But after those three rounds, Mm -hmm. we would use those cards to try um, pulling off jobs that would give us um, different uh, uh, rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially, we're just trying to collect all those rewards. So at the end, tally everything up. The person with the biggest score without getting caught wins. Right. You get to that final round. And that final round is literally a giant uh, bank heist. Which ended up being kind of a push-your-luck draft where you all grab a token, uh, unknown token from a bag where I think his had the, uh, the bank, actual bank, like bank yeah. tower. So you kind of reach in, don't see it, you grab a token, everybody grabs their token and reveals at the same time. And then within them, there's so many cops. Mm-hmm. And if you're bust, you know, if you pull a cop, you're not, uh, you, you, there's like a busted level. And you just kind of keep going until everybody's either passed or busted. Mm-hmm. And then it's a complete score. You know, how much money did you get? It was good. I liked it myself. Yeah. It had a couple different elements that I've seen before. A couple new elements that kind of like smash them together. Mm-hmm. And create this neat little hybrid game. Um, to compare it to other games, 
Uh, the card drafting was very much like a Seven Wonders mm-hmm. uh, style game where the push-your-luck mechanic was kind of the new twist on it, was you, you kind of played like a mini Seven Wonders game, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, let's keep pulling out this bag, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm feeling not so lucky anymore. I'm going to stop and, and, and take what I got and run away with it, and hopefully uh, I have more score than everybody else. So that, or if, or, you know, what actually did end up happening was uh, I ended up winning, but that's because I kind of, pushed my luck enough but the person next to me pushed their luck just a little too much that was me that wasn't you no no No, that was that was me i ultimately lost well you had to the the big thing uh with this game is the awards that you get aren't just hey you won twenty thousand or you you pulled off this heist and received twenty thousand dollars it's you pulled off this heist and you received a diamond or you received a, um, I believe it's a golden idol or something like that. Yeah, there was a like golden idol relic tokens. Yeah. And the player who collected the most of those got an additional mount. Got like, an additional mount, and they were worth more per the and and things like that. Nature. If you had like a bigger set, they were worth more. So it's kind of you're you're looking at everyone around you, trying to figure out how much does everyone actually have sitting in front of them, because I can have. Four diamonds, but if you had the four golden relics, you technically have more mm-hmm. um, sitting in front of you than I do. And it just got to the point where you you bowed out, and to bow out in the game, when you put your hand in and pull a token, you just don't pull anything. You just close your fist, have nothing in it. When you reveal that you have nothing in it, that means that you left the heist. And right. anyone who's still there grabbing... Uh, can keep grabbing until either they decide that they're done in the heist or um, they get busted by the police. I realize that no matter what, you were a ridiculous amount of loot over me. So I eventually just had to uh, keep trying my luck until I pulled that last uh, police token and was busted. Yeah, that it happens. And it's one of the things uh, my mechanic on there was I was looking for those uh, hard drives. So, you need the keys to open the hard drives. Right. So one of the mechanics on that game was you can, during the small jobs, you can get these hard drives, but they're locked. So part of the heist was pulling tokens that randomly were the keys of the, the encryption to these hard drives, which then gave you a whole lot of money. So I ended up getting a lot of those mm-hmm. uh, successfully in such a way where like, no, no, that actually worked out way better in my favor than I thought it would. Um, would that happen again? I don't know. I wouldn't say that's a valid strategy for the game, but it paid off for when I tried it. So, mm-hmm. good news there. So that was kind of the, the the one thing we missed last episode with the recap of days one and zero. So looking at day two, mm-hmm. we didn't really have any events going on that day, so we spent most of the time in the vendor hall itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the events we signed up for were actually after the vendor hall closed, so it was actually a great day to kind of go see the exhibit hall, see what everybody brought, demo games, see things, mm-hmm. and that's where kind of I was all day. Yeah, we started the morning jumping in real early. Uh, I picked up a copy of the new Witcher RPG mm. for one of our friends. Uh, he couldn't make it out, but he saw uh, that it was going to be released there, and he didn't have the patience to wait, so he wanted me to snag him a copy. And 
Yeah, that's kind of a common thread from what I've seen. It, yeah. Know, is it's, it's a lot of snatch and grab, and uh, if you don't want to wait for it, that's a place to get it, because you're about a month, two months ahead of most releases. Yeah. I was very, very important uh, thing that I kind of booked to uh, when the doors open was Call to Adventure by Brotherwise Games. Mm-hmm. Um, they had just launched a Kickstarter for the game the week before then they said they were going to be demoing it at Gen Con, and I just went, great, this is a perfect opportunity to jump in, try this game, to know if I'm going to drop money on it and actually back it or not. It's a hero-building game where you kind of draft cards from the sets. If you've played games like Mystic Veil or Splendor, they kind mm. of have that very similar feel where you're just trying to gather like Tier 1 items, and then you can build up your, your engine mm. a little bit to get Tier 2, and then eventually you get better get the top level worth of stuff Mm -hmm. um they have a very interesting game there and it's very open very fluid um it felt a lot like the video game fable Mm -hmm. i wasn't necessarily playing a video game but it was i had a origin story i had a major event and then i kind of had my destiny Mm -hmm. card and that shaped the story of my hero and my guy wasn't necessarily was like a it ended up being like a um secret noble who is destined to become like the most dastardly villain in the world mm-hmm. like okay this and like as we were drafting cards everyone's story kind of started forming on its own based on the mm-hmm. cards that they had in front of them the cards that they were gathering so it kind of built like its own little narrative without even really trying to force it on you so i went ahead and backed that one myself because i thought it was a very solid game so and i did like that they had an interesting mechanic when it came to figuring out if you was it failed or succeeded yes so instead of having like a a dice roll or things like that you cast runes and based on one side was marked one side wasn't for most of them and Mm -hmm. based on what you had you could get upgraded versions and that kind of gave you a a a binary score of one to Mm -hmm. you know either you didn't get or got a point and if you got enough points then you could grab the card yeah. So it was an interesting way, and that was one of the ways you could build your character by trying to find those synergies to mm-hmm. to get better rolls, to make better cards, to grab better things. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where that came from. So I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I forgot that that was a one of those interesting mechanics I liked that was a little different. It was something new, and it it definitely left a impact on me. Thinking like back now, I just remembered that that mechanic, and it was just very very interesting. Hard to, to comprehend at first, but as, as soon as one person made their rune pool and threw it on the table, then all of a sudden it all just kind of clicked, and we saw exactly what needed to happen. Yeah. So after Call to Adventure, uh, a couple of buddies of mine told me about a new game from Bladhead Games that was coming up, and a new Crossroads game, just not necessarily in the Dead of Winter universe, mm-hmm. but using that Crossroads mechanic mm. in a new game. Um, I've played Dead of Winter a handful of times. You've played it once. i played it once or twice with you. Okay. So for people who aren't familiar with the Crossroads mechanic, every player's turn, there's this deck of cards that another player is looking at for a keyword or a trigger mm-hmm. in the game, whether you are alone, whether you make this sort of check, whether, you know, something... You're watching my turn to see if I do whatever the card mm-hmm. says... And if I do it, you stop me and go, and we get this narrative bit. Mm-hmm. One one of the one of my favorite things about Dead of Winter is that mechanic is 
I don't know what's going to trigger that. So I'm doing my turn, my turn, Allison. You're saying, hey, Justin, stop that. I go, what? L, yeah, this thing's totally happening to you. Great. And that's the feeling with Dead of Winter is you get this very negative, like you don't want Crossroads cards mm. for the most part. They're almost always bad. Mm. There's some good ones hiding out in there, but most of the time, mm, no, yeah. no good. That's not what happens in Gen 7. So mm. Gen 7 is the new game that's coming up. We got to play it with four people. It's a campaign-based sci-fi Crossroads game. So you're the, they, they call it Gen 7 because you're the seventh generation on one of these big generation ships. So you've shot off from Earth. You are the seventh generation to be awakened from cryosleep to pretty much run, make sure this ship is running. Think Wally. Think um, mm-hmm. passengers. Maybe not. Think <laughs> maybe not. Think passengers. But that idea, that sci-fi concept, is out there. Where there to get from spot A to spot B, it takes generations of time. Because there's mm-hmm. no faster light that travel or hyperspace or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So you wake up, you're thought out, you're one of, everyone is a different um, department head. And you have a little D8 that represents you. And then you have your uh, team of, that works for you, which are a bunch of little D6s. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's almost like a worker placement game in that sense of you're assigning these dice to different stations to get different effects Mm-hmm. There's some global catastrophes that are happening that the team has to cooperatively work together between mm-hmm. all players to kind of tackle these things together. But also everyone's trying to corporate life. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together, but I want to get the one that has the most credit at the end of the day to get the promotion at the end of the day. So everyone's kind of vying for these different power levels and power mm-hmm. games, but no one's really out to really roadblock each other. You're just trying to get their do your job better than the rest of everybody else. Mm. The crossroads mechanic comes in when you assign your D8 to someplace. It because that that represents you in the game. So you sent your you go to the the operation station or you go to uh, manufacturing or wherever the cryo labs. Mm. And that triggers a story event. Nothing is innately positive or negative. One of the ones that we encountered was someone went to the cryo lab and there was a bunch of a couple school kids staring at the glass and going, mm-hmm. "Oh man, I wish my folks were here. I really miss them." And you get this story choice, of, "Hey, school's important. You shouldn't miss school." Versus a compassionate more of, "You know what? Let's see if we can, you know, maybe maybe help you out. Mm-hmm. Maybe get you like a visitation time or something." I can't remember the exact details, but that was kind of the idea. There was a a logical answer and then the compassionate answer. Throughout our session, we came across these choices. And there's a compassion slash, I'm going to call it logical, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to go off of memory of what they actually called it. There were so many games that weekend that I can't even remember. At the end of the session, you know, plot kind of happens, things, you know, we've played X amount of turns, and then boom, the story ends. We get this weird message, this thing happens, and then we have to make this choice of do we trust this or do we trust that? Mm-hmm. And then all of those crossword card choices goes towards that this or that vote. So most of our group was very compassionate. We had three votes already on the compassionate choice mm-hmm. before we even voted. So as a group, with all four of us, we would all have to vote 100% the other way to get that choice, that story choice to trigger. Drives where you go in this narrative campaign. Mm-hmm. 
that was what I found most interesting is because those crossroad cards in Dead of Winter, I've seen games where like one, two pop up. Mm-hmm. We had like three or four in our like 10 turn game. Mm. That's a lot different. I think they've, yeah. I think Plaid Hat found a really good way of making that more, more active mm-hmm. uh, in such a way that I also really, really enjoy it. Um, so that was Gen 7. We kind of split up, you and I. I did find a Decrypto uh, game that was kind of a party game where you're trying to send secret messages to your teammates through mm-hmm. coded words to try to get them to guess a three-digit code while the other team is trying to intercept and code break. It was neat. It was interesting. Um, the demo was very much... Uh, this is by Elo Games, um, same guys who, who publish uh, King of Tokyo. So it's a very mm-hmm. light, very easy game to get into. One of the fun things that they were saying is like, wait, everybody here, before I even start talking about how this game works, there will be a turn where all of you go, oh, and then you'll all get it. So it went, ran through like the first turn, all of us were like, okay, I think we know what we're doing, we think we know what we're doing. And then like turn two was the, oh, as we saw like what a full 100%, you know, turn one to turn mm-hmm. two is before the, the sides flip and we do it all over again. Mm-hmm. It was a fun, neat game. Also got the demo Magic Maze which I, we talked about a little bit earlier when I was playing it uh, mm-hmm. recently. Live action. Nobody controls a particular pawn. Um, the theme is a little wonky, in my opinion. You're a group of adventurers trying to shoplift in a mall. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little weird when you kind of describe it that way. But you get these square hex, uh, square tiles that you're trying to explore in the mall. Um, there's different characters. There's a barbarian. There's a fighter. There's a mage. And everybody's trying to get to their color so that they, they can get to their exit. Here's the twist. You are not any particular pawn. You are not the fighter. You are not the thief. Everybody mm-hmm. controls everything. Mm-hmm. But you only have a certain action you can do. So in like a four-player game, I can only move pawns north. You can only move them east. Someone else can move them south. Mm-hmm. So you're working together as a group to try to kind of puzzle this out in the most efficient way while there's a sand timer going. There's a way to flip the sand timer, and if you you, you kind of want to wait until that sand timer is almost gone before you flip it, mm-hmm. but you have to get the pawn in the right spot to do so. And here's the real twist. The game is done in complete silence. Nobody can talk to each other. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of be, keep building more scenarios as... Mm-hmm. Kind of like that Harry Potter game you're talking about. They start out very basic, and then they keep adding more and more layers as you keep going to make Mm -hmm. the game a little bit more complex. Like, oh, now that you understand how this works, we're going to add this twist to it. Now that you figured out that you have to get your stuff and then get out, now there's going to be certain things that only certain characters can do. There's a a hole that only the dwarf can fit through, Mm -hmm. and only he can pass through that particular space on the board and things of that nature. So that was Magic Maze. I also checked in on uh, Breaking Games Rise of Tribes, mm. which is a recent Kickstarter that was being fulfilled. There was also the Reckoners uh, board game, which is based off the Brandon Sanderson uh, Steelheart book series. Mm-hmm. Steelheart's the first book they call it the Reckoner series, um, which was a kind of a co-op challenge, take down the big bad supervillain, or epic as mm-hmm. they call him in that universe. Um, so I got to check out a lot of his neat little games at that point. Um what what did you encounter on the Vendor Hall Day 2? I found that uh, Witcher RPG, or the book for the Witcher RPG, stood in line for Fantasy Flight Games, and I stood in line for Fantasy Flight Games. 
and then I stood in line for Fantasy Flight Games. It was, uh... They were a little popular. They were just a little popular. Uh, like you said earlier, you know, you go there to grab the stuff that you're not going to be able to find elsewhere. I didn't realize, uh... Um, so, by the time I finally got into Fantasy Flight, um, kind of going back to what you said earlier, if you're looking for something that day, or if you're looking for something that you may not be able to get outside, uh, you definitely want to check at the convention. They did have a lot of Star Wars Legion, uh, miniatures that I didn't realize would be so difficult to find in the wild. So going to a lot of local game stores, no one has uh, certain figures. Um, yeah, there's a huge supply demand. Yeah. Um, and when things get reprinted, it takes a long time for those to show up. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's not just Legion. It, mm-hmm. it, it's a it's unfortunately something that just happens. And I wish it could I wish it could really get better, but I don't know if it's going to anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, I'm still happy with everything I grabbed. I grabbed a few things uh, for another friend who's into uh, Star Wars X-Wing. Um, I'm not ready to jump down that rabbit hole myself. Um, but unfortunately, I went with its stepsister, Legion. And I just keep buying more and more. I picked up uh, Han Solo, which uh, was out a little early there. Um, the one thing I wish I would have grabbed was, uh, Leia, uh, Leia Organa, uh, the Commander expansion, because I've been having a heck of a time finding that elsewhere. Uh, after that, I went back to Brother Wise Games, and I picked up, uh, the expansion box for Boss Monster. Uh, me and my friends found out about Boss Monster. I think, actually, you introduced me to Boss Monster probably, like, three or four years ago at this uh, by now, um, we've just been obsessed with it. Anytime I go to parties, I always bring it with me because everyone wants to play it. Um, so I picked up the expansion, uh, the box expansion, just to put everything into one box to bring around with me. Um, and then a lot of uh, a lot of aimlessly wandering. I'm a little ADD when it comes to conventions, so I would stop and look at a demo. But if it wasn't something that I could actively engage in, I would kind of aimlessly wander until I could find something to get my hands into. Right. And honestly, there is so much there that there's always something going on and you can always keep moving and you might circle back. You might, mm-hmm. it, it, it happens. I yeah. did a, I did a lot of that myself, so I know exactly what you mean. Um, and then the vendor hall kind of shuts down at a certain time, but that doesn't mean events are over. Mm-hmm. Um, we had signed up for a vampire, the masquerade fifth edition game, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tabletop RPG put up by white wolf studios. I haven't played Vampire in years, to be perfectly honest. It, I used to play the third edition. I picked up Requiem when they kind of when that was like fourth edition esque, mm-hmm. um, and played a little bit. I didn't like Requiem personally. Mm-hmm. I wasn't such a fanboy of the, oh my god, they killed my world, they destroyed and wrecked everything. I just didn't get into it. I didn't. Mm-hmm. The way they changed vampires society and the social structures it just didn't it didn't make a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. um i couldn't just i i didn't love it yeah and unfortunately there's so many other rpgs out there that if i didn't fall in love with it it just kind of got pushed off to the side mm-hmm. um, which is fine um i know people who do love requiem so more power to them you know 
whatever you love is what you love. And if you can get to yourself in a spot where you're not crapping on other people's joy, mm-hmm. more power to you. So we played Vampire 5th Edition. It was uh, my first time ever playing, so everything was new to me. Right. But you've role-played before. Yeah. So that part of it wasn't new. It was just Vampire in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of went in, like you said last episode, like you've said this episode, you don't do anything half dove right in and just ran with it Mm -hmm. um our gm was very very delighted by us Mm -hmm. Uh, we may not have been at the most sober state Mm -hmm. at the time because this was also like a late night game we also had uh another friend with us who was in the same state as us so we were we were half almost half the table uh the three of us we really took to our characters and I think, in general, most people had a good, good enough time with it. Comparing notes with other people, because I had another buddy who played it uh, a couple hours before us. Um, and then afterwards, the story we kind of told each other was like this really interesting narrative of like, yes, we played the same scenario. Yes, we played the same game. But the way things played out, based on player choice, based on GM, it worked very differently. Mm-hmm. We had very good success of, I think she, I, I think we were the only group that discovered like the second body that would raise flags for, for the masquerade and, and all that. And it was like this, oh wow, you guys are the ones that did that. His group was the ones that decrypted the phone and got the, the leverage on the Elder. Mm-hmm. So very different games with the same pieces. Mm-hmm. We all kind of started in the same spot with the same toys, with the same characters and we all ran with it in our own different ways that was our day two mm-hmm. we opened up day three with another rpg uh, that was the star wars fantasy flight games which was set in the rise of the rebellion era so we were kind of a ragtag group of smugglers just kind of coming into things mm-hmm. um i thought it was kind of interesting that we ended up in a hyperspace drop uh, right above uh, Seraph. Mm-hmm. Um, a little telegraph that that was going to be something that we were going to do, but it was at least fun mm-hmm. and interesting. Um, I hadn't played that system before. Have you? Actually, uh, I've played that quite a few times. I I had a friend when the beta came out. We they ran a game for us, and so I, I was familiar familiar with it. But it's been so long that I had. Not realize that that was a fantasy flight role-playing game. So all of a sudden, all the dice mechanics made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And everything started lining back up. And it was one of those just dawned on me. Oh, oh yeah, I played this for, you know, twice a month for a whole year. So, right. yeah. No, um, I... That's why I signed up for this event with us. Um, because mm-hmm. I hadn't been able to try their system. I didn't know any groups in the area that were running it where I could jump in and try it. And reading the rule book, I'm really, I'm pretty good at like soaking in rules. There was something about the narrative dice system that I needed to see it in action mm-hmm. to fully understand how the 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 flow of it. Yeah. Because I could read a book and went, okay, these successes cancel those. This mm-hmm. type of success cancels that. And then what you're left with kind of tells you what to do as a GM. Okay, cool. And then I saw it in action and went, wow, this is a beautiful system. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's my favorite Star Wars system, though. Mm-hmm. It, I will say it's my second favorite. I still am an old school fan of the West End Games D6 system. Yeah. But this definitely trumped 
trumps the Wizards of the Coast roll uh, D20, mm-hmm. and then also the Saga system. The Saga system wasn't too bad. Um, but one thing I've always been struggling with with Star Wars as, a, as an RPG genre is classes. Star Wars doesn't have classes. There's archetypes, sure. Mm-hmm. Are you a Jedi? Are you a fighter? Are you a smuggler? Are you a, a pilot? Yes. But to put a le- one level 1 to level 20 class on a character just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. In, in that universe, in that setting. D&D, it works. Fine. It's always been what it is. And it always felt like, especially the D20 Star Wars or the Saga Star Wars, it always felt like we were trying to fake Star Wars Mm D&D. West End never had a caste system. You upgrade whatever skills. You want to get better at uh, flying a ship? Put points into that. You want to get better Mm -hmm. at smuggling or talking or whatever you want to do? That's where you you put your points. And when you Mm -hmm. get experience points or what they call the character points, you would be able to put them on anywhere on your sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, some GMs had different rules. Usually, you had to have used that skill in some capacity before you could grow it. You, you know, you're not going to become a great con man overnight and mm-hmm. be able to talk people out of their their credits unless you actually start using that skill. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that made sense, but you know what? That's that's what it was. Um, nobody was one thing or the other. Your skills kind of sh- crafted your character for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fancy flight kind of hits a hybrid. Mm. You have a client or a career that gives you a lot of direction, but you are very much free to break that or blend more than one career with another. Mm. I think the best way they described it was if you are a soldier, you are a military soldier, that's always going to be a part of you. Yeah. You know, think of it or modern day military, your military buddies. They're all going to be a core soldier. Mm. But that doesn't mean they can't learn other jobs. That doesn't mean they can't become a pilot. That doesn't mean they can't become a diplomat. Mm-hmm. It just means at the end of the day, if you really look at the core fiber of the brain, that's, that's still the number one thing that they are, and then they branch off additional stuff from there. And that's where Fantasy Flight kind of does a better job of being allowing to create these hybridish characters that Star Wars is really good at. And that was that was our RPG. I had to duck out a little early because I was a little overbooked that day, um, and I won. I had to run out to my tech tournament. How did you feel the RPG went um, while I was there, and then even afterwards? I thought it went really well. You thought I had enough that within our game, you decided that it was more important for your character to branch off from the rest of us to get something done. After you left, you didn't see it, but that actually paid off immensely because by the time we got back to the ship and we took off, everything was taken care of. The uh, GM afterwards told us that we were one of the few groups that actually didn't have to make repairs to the ship as we're trying to escape while just being assaulted from all fronts. I thoroughly enjoyed the game, it was a very nostalgic feel for me, because again, I, I played it many years ago. And playing it, honestly, while you went to your tech tournament, made me go and wait in Fantasy Flight's line one more time, so I can go back and buy the book. So, it, it took me... Kudos on the event for selling product. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, running a campaign for it. I know that you've talked about uh, how 
again, like you just said, you couldn't find a, a group or, or anyone to play with you. So hopefully I can find a ragtag group to jump in. A ragtag group of rebels ready to do what needs to be done to save the universe from the evil empire. Or we're just going to be all empire agents and, you know, screw those guys. Yeah. Whatever. Um, it ends up being, uh, I'm looking forward to trying that out and, and playing more of that, uh, that, that game. Yeah, and uh, I know that we mentioned it uh, on the last episode, but I can't express enough how excited I am about, I want to say, what was it, like two weeks after Gen Con, Fantasy Flight announced that they're adding another core book to the this system, specifically dealing with the Clone Wars. So, we are going to be seeing, right? you know... Clone Troopers, we're going to be seeing Anakin, we're going to be seeing Separatists, we're going to be seeing just everything that, unfortunately, is driving to me, driving me to spend more money on stuff I don't necessarily need, but have an immense want for. You ran off to the TAC tournament. Yeah, I ran back off to the TAC tournament, um, and for those who aren't familiar with the game, TAC is an abstract strategy game. It's a beautiful game. Yes, the tagline is it's a beautiful game. Put out by James Ernest um, from Cheap Ass Games. And then their whole thing was actually a Kickstarter because the game tag comes from the uh, novel The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss. So it got this huge buzz because there's a huge following for that author. James Ernest has done some really good work too, so his name on the project all didn't didn't hurt it one bit. And they came up with this really interesting strategy game that... All you're doing is play, either placing pieces on the board or moving pieces on the board. There's such a deep level of easy strategy. It's like Go, Chess. Mm-hmm. It's these games that you... Here's the rules. They're not that hard. And then as you play more and more and get better and better, or play better and better people too, you realize how much more deep strategy that there is to this game. I had not played an official tournament before. I've played casually since uh, I got my set. I really enjoy the game myself. I am no way near in the caliber of these people. I went 0-8. I did not win a single match. There was actually one point, because it was a bunch of Swiss rounds, that I sat across it when I went, you or I are going to win a game, finally. It was not me. <laughs> but I still had a good time. I still enjoyed myself. I still, you know, because it bought me some time, I, I didn't necessarily make the cut, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have stayed and watched the final matches and kind of seen what they were doing, but I was kind of burnt out on on so many games I played. Because um, a lot like chess, it's kind of a brain burner. The more games you play, the harder it is to think. So I went, okay, great. This is going to buy me some time because I thought I wasn't going to have any time in the event hall. Or in the, not the event hall, the, the vendor hall. So I got to go sneak around and, and do a couple more things. Um that I didn't think I was going to do. Um, I went and saw the the booth for Kingdom Death Monster, mm-hmm. which um, did you get to see that? No, uh, I was like tucked in a corner. One of them. you had to like find it in a corner, but it was a gorgeous setup. They had all the models on display. Oh, that was the one that had the really, really, really intricate. Yes. Oh yeah, no, I saw those. Those were gorgeous. Yes, the price tag matches that. No, but. <laughs> yeah. I, I've played the game a couple times because mm-hmm. uh, I know someone who has it and he's fighting me over. So I've played it. I've experienced the game. 
It is not something I'm willing to invest in personally, mm-hmm. but I'm really happy I know someone who knows it has it so I can at least experience it. Um, and just seeing what they had set up was awesome. So, end of the night, because we tried to get the biggest group as we possibly can, uh, we went and tried True Dungeon for the first time. Mm-hmm. There was uh, ten of us. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying one of the new this year's rooms, which was like a trilogy of rooms and events um, that were also very expensive because they put a lot more effort into the props and the the showpiece of it, that they were asking more money for it, which I understand. If you're going to upgrade your, your level of, of show, would totally expect people to pay more money for it. But they were also running some of the older events, so we, we found one of those and, and dove in one of those because it was not only cheaper because no, none of us had done this before. There was ten of us, brand new. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of us knew what to expect. We've done escape rooms as groups before, things like that, and we're like, okay, is it like that, or is it something different? Uh, I've done live-action role-playing before, so was it more like that? And I really didn't know what to expect. Um, so let's start off with your thoughts of True Dungeon. Where were your expectations, and what did you think? Well, uh, I'm going to start off saying that when we got there, I got very nervous because I didn't, I didn't look up anything on this. I just heard... Hey, it's it's a uh, it's an escape room that's just like like an, a, a hybrid of an an escape room in D and D. Like that sounds like fun. Until I got there, and we're all staying there waiting to get sat down to go over everything, and the everyone's talking about the manual that's online that apparently was very very long, very very detailed, and I didn't know about any of that, so I didn't read it. Initially, I was frustrated with the game itself. There are some things that I say could have been done better. Mostly speaking to um, the volunteers in there. There wasn't a lot of communication, it seemed like, between them. But uh, the next day, we actually sat down. I told you, I actually, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. It, it was it was fun. It was challenging. It wasn't something that you're, you're used to at all. First time, yeah, we, we, we kind of got creamed now knowing what i know if i jumped or if i if we did it again chances are it'd probably go a lot better than it did right i would definitely agree with that um our expectations were one place the reality was a little bit different um i think you and i walked away probably as the more positive for the group Mm -hmm. of yeah we got our we got our butts handed to us um we didn't know what to expect i was personally frustrated with the ended up being a bard role and every class is very D&D themed. So if you know D&D, you kind of have an idea of kind of what to expect. But every class kind of had their own little shtick that they had to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, the druid had to memorize leaf patterns to be able to cast their spells. I had to memorize uh, particular like astrological signs, but they weren't the astrological signs mm-hmm. to, to be able to cast some of my stuff. We had two people playing wizards that... They kind of had their own little thing. Like every magic system had its own thing. Oh, the cleric had like a rosary beads that they had to identify. So mm-hmm. every caster had their own unique thing. And knowing that the cast, like going in, we as a group, we knew the casters had like this memory-based thing that they had to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us realized how deep that was. Oh, it's very, very intricate. I mean, they had you guys looking at anywhere from what, like 12 to... I think it was somewhere between 24 and 30 icons. Oh, okay. I, 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 without knowing it, I think I probably drew the, the shortest straw of the group. Mm-hmm. 
And what's funny is bards are kind of like that in D&D anyways. They're kind of the jack of all trades, so not only I had to do that, but I also had to get good at fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fighting piece was like a, a shuffleboard game, which mm-hmm. I liked. I, I'm not going to lie. I that was that. a lot of fun, yeah. I wasn't good at it, but I liked it. So there was this really interesting, okay, this is what it is. I know some of our other group was really burnt out on it because we were more used to the escape room style games opposed to this. The production value... I expected more out of mm-hmm. than what I got, but I also, again, might be spoiled on those escape room games that are very immersive. It was one of those where we're used to stuff that's stationary, that they, they don't have to build it in a few days and then tear it down a few days later. Right. And I think that was a big piece of it, and I think that colored the group's overall reaction to the true dungeon. Mm-hmm. Now, um... I thought it was really interesting because um, this is such a deep thing. True Dungeon, people travel to just do True Dungeon. Mm-hmm. They will you get these poker chip items that have different values on them. And it, there's a whole training commodity on this thing. It, it's, it's insane. If this is what you want to do, and this is what you really want to do at a cons, go for it. There's a lot to do. You can go really deep into this thing. From a casual, if you're interested, I would definitely say take the route that we did and go for maybe an older room or, or lower cost room. Get your feet wet, get your taste buds, or if you know someone or have a friend mm. who's into it, go along with them. Have a guide or have a coach. Um, going as a complete blind group, I think, punished us a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think as a group we got to learn together too at the same time. So, you know, it was fun. Uh, I would probably do it again. But um, I don't know if everybody in that group would say the same. Yeah. I would also say try to plan in advance because we only, when we got in there, we only had, I want to say what was like 15 minutes for us to go through picking classes and then opening our little packs of uh, tokens. Uh, Another suggestion too is stop over at one of the resellers in the vendor's hall. They will have buckets of these tokens and they'll sell like the the common items real cheap so you can actually have gear a lot of us went into this dungeon without having half of the gear maybe even a quarter of the gear that we actually needed right but that remember that was the point of this one it was this they called it a sealed dungeon so all we could get were those sealed packs that they gave us we weren't allowed to bring anything else in really yeah strike that uh, but for other rooms that aren't sealed, definitely want to follow that advice. Yeah. But this was definitely a sealed room is a great room to get your feet wet and, and start this mm-hmm. process. That's kind of the whole point behind them. So that was True Dungeon. That was our day three, um, Saturday. Anything else? No, after that we went... Went home and passed out. Yeah. Prying eyes of all the armadillos. <laughs> Those freaking armadillos, man. Yeah, there were too many armadillos in that place. Yeah. Too many disturbing amounts. I am still shocked to this day that we haven't like unpacked a game and found an armadillo in it secretly, <laughs> like they just smuggled themselves with us. Then it brings us to last day Sunday, which in years prior, when I went a decade ago, mm-hmm. I, Sunday was kind of a not much of a happening day. It was everyone's closing up, and a lot of cons. The last day is like especially like Comic Cons. Uh, with the figurines and statues that are places that are like, we don't want to ship this stuff anymore and have it potentially break. Mm-hmm. What do you want to buy it for? 
Mm. We're asking 80. What do you want? Yeah. Um, where you can make some really good deals and steals um, on that last day. Gen Con, not so much. It was still pretty active for the first part of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, later, as, the, as it was kind of wrapping up that last hour or so, I definitely started seeing some of that. But early on, um, went to the Artist Alley with a couple of our buddies. Uh, and I almost regret not checking out the Artist Alley sooner. Mm-hmm. There's so much to see. There's so many talented people there. Definitely make time for it. Even if it's an hour or two that you get to wander, talk to them see their stuff even if you are not in the market of buying check it out mm-hmm. there there's amazing stuff out there and these people and you know i grabbed a bunch of business cards for later I'm gonna try to talk my wife into a couple pieces of like hey you know what we, we've been talking about getting some art what do you think of these artists i thought they mm-hmm. were really great and there's some stuff that isn't necessarily super geeky or nerdy that i may be able to get in my own home sneak it under the radar we just we aimlessly wandered quite a bit we didn't have any events. We didn't really have anything planned. I don't think we even had a time plan for us to leave. We just aimlessly wandered, took in everything that we could. Um, and like you said, yeah, during earlier in the day, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, wheeling and dealing. But towards the time that we left, closed at 4 and we left at 2. Then right. he started seeing all the carnival barkers coming out with just... Right random um employees coming out i have one left of these normally it's 80 dollars. hey guys buy it right now 35 dollars, just because they're just trying to clear the last little bit out so right. they can have yeah. less to bring home right they don't have to ship it back they don't have to repack it anything mm-hmm. like and i totally get it from their perspective if they can clear themselves their shelves out that is so much less work for them to have to worry about no inventory no nothing just it's it's all it's gone mm-hmm how, how many did you sell? All of them. Uh, so, whereas you got into that Star Wars hook and you, you, you got into that uh, Star Wars RPG book, I already own that book, so I didn't really have that urge to, haha, let me go mm-hmm. get it. But after Friday playing Vampire 5th Edition, I did bull, go and pull the trigger for 5th Edition Vampire uh, mm-hmm. early. It was one of my treats to myself. Is Normally I'm overloaded with things already, so let me not buy things that will come out later. Mm-hmm. This one I did. We uh, Both of our significant others talked to us separately. So my, my girlfriend talked to Justin. Justin's wife talked to me. And we were told to keep an eye on each other because... Uh, the spending habit's real. And I'd like to note, most of the spending we did is actually when we separated. <laughs> it is. Actually, yeah, no, that that is very, very true. So, uh, it happens. Yeah. Um, uh, the big thing that I wanted to do from Gen Con, and, and I didn't really get get around to it to this last day. Um, I know you were wandering, looking for deals. Mm-hmm. I needed, core of my being needed to try Arkham 3rd Edition. Yeah. Or Arkham Horror, the board game, 3rd Edition. As well as Keyforge, which we, we got our decks for. And I'm like, you know what? Let me let me demo a game. Let me see what this mm-hmm. is like. You know, I'm here. They're here. They're showing it off all weekend. Let's see what it is. I liked playing Keyforge. I don't know how well the game's going to do based on of its unique nature of buying these random, random decks. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't modify the deck. You don't deck build. But it's a different type of game. Or it's my team, my factions versus your factions. There's no resources in it. Um, the big thing is you play, your deck will have one of 
three of seven houses, or great mm. houses as they call them in, the, in their universe, and you're trying to forge these keys. That's the whole point of the game. But there's no resources, there's no mana, there's no, I need gold, or I need fate, or whatever game you play, mm-hmm. you don't need that resource control. What you do is at the start of your turn, you declare what faction you're playing of the three in your deck. You can play as many of that faction in your turn. Interesting. Furthermore, when you have your attack board out there, those are the only creatures that can attack. You might have other ones, but they can't attack because you're not playing that faction that round. Very interesting. So it's a really good check and balance of how not to have resources and where I can play six cards if they're all happen to be the right if they all happen to be the same faction. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I never saw that. I there was one turn I think I had four of one faction in my hand and I and I did a pretty good turn based on that. So that was kind of the, the, the game mechanic that I found was very interesting was this non resource just play what you got. You're just playing one of the three factions, that's your restriction instead. Mm-hmm. Um I liked it. I'm definitely gonna be checking out when it comes out for real. Um hopefully getting a group around, maybe get some tor- tournaments organized. And then I played Arkham Thor. Arkham Horror Third Edition. Um, a couple of you, kind of, a couple of our friends that are with us, kind of circled by me and went, "Are you still playing this?" I'm like, "Yes, yes, I am." Um, I really enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. One of the pieces, it's taking a lot of cues off of the other Arkham franchise games. So there's a little bit of Arkham Horror still left in it. There's a little bit of Eldritch Horror in it. There's a little bit of the card game in there. Can't really call out anything that was more that was Elder Sign, but mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of Mansions. There was a little bit of Mansions of Madness in there too. So each ancient one that you play has a particular setup of the board. So there's going to be different hubs and different districts of the town based on who you're going up against. Also, that who you're going up against has a narrative deck, and there's a kind of this branchy narrative that will weed itself into the game so you get the that's where you get this lcg mechanic where there's this narrative flow the board's modular so that's where your mansions of madness comes the eldritch horror one that i liked was normally with the arkham games you get these clue tokens which allow you to re-roll dice in some of the later games like eldritch horror and mansions of madness and um even even the card game you can improve your stats Mm-hmm. So your your character has a willpower stat that's uh, normally printed at 2. Well, you can get this token that'll bump them up to 3. In the Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, those tokens are your rerolls. So, mm. so you can keep it on your sheet as a plus 1 to your willpower. And every time you roll willpower, you're rolling one extra die, which is great. Or you can burn it to reroll something. So if you if you burn it, well, now you don't get that plus 1 anymore on the next check that you have to make it on that stat. That was one of the neat things I thought was, okay, that's a little refreshing, but I can kind of see where the inspiration came from Mm -hmm. of smashing two other mechanics they already had together and created this new new mechanic. I can kind of dig um, it, yeah. On that. So I was a big fan of it. Um, It felt very organic. The other thing that they did that was similar, I will say similar, to... The LCG is, if you remember in the LCG, there's that chaos randomizer bag. You stick your mm-hmm. hand in the big bag of darkness and pull out a token that says you either you're, you're good, you're bad, or eh, something happened. The mythos phase is that pull. 
Oh. And there's different types of tokens, and that depends on what happens. So it might be monsters have spawned. It might be clues spawn. It might be this event happens. There's a bunch of different options in there. Some are good. Some are bad. Most are bad. But the idea is you don't know what you're getting out of that pull. Mm-hmm. And when you pull out of it, it doesn't go back into the bag until the bag's empty. Uh-huh. So the probability of the bad stuff happening, if it's, you know, you have a good pull, he has a good pull, and then it's my turn. I may not have a good pull because of what you guys did. Or maybe I'm safe because you guys got the bad stuff already. Mm-hmm. So there, that was a very interesting mechanic. It's a little bit different because the Mythos decks before were a stack of cards. You flipped one over, you got a little bit of story out of it, and then... In the second edition game, monsters moved along a predestinated track. Either they moved clockwise or counterclockwise around the board. Mm-hmm. Maybe you got in a little bit of narrative. Maybe some other stuff happened. Maybe a gate opened. It was very, here's the game's turn. This is what the game does. Mm-hmm. This felt a little bit different from that. This felt like this is what the game is doing to you and you alone as this player. All right, my turn. This is what the game is doing to me on my turn. So that's where I felt it was really good. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's supposed to be out this, I think, that if I remember right, they said fourth quarter. Mm. I'm crossing my fingers that in another month or so, I'm going to be in Minnesota for the Arkham Knights event. And that they will have extra copies there to sell early. Because I will definitely be walking home with one if it's up there. Um, I'm really excited for this game. I, I don't know if I've said that enough yet. This is your Star Wars Legion, I gotcha. Yeah, no. Except you have a longer, richer history with it versus me and my whole month of painting. Legion's only been out less than a year. You're okay. Fair enough. Arkham Horror's been out... Well, the second edition's been out since 2005. The original edition was uh, 1987, so it's been a while that Arkham Horror's existed. I started on the second edition game and have been playing it since. So yeah, that's that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's my bread and butter game that I love to go to, and the card game I've been playing the heck out of since mm-hmm. it came out two years ago. So it's not just uh, the Arkham Horror board game, but the Arkham Files series that I just keep playing and loving. So that's going to be one of our upcoming episodes. Is one once I come back from Arkham Knights, I'm definitely going to be wanting to talk about that. And then also coming up on our next episode, so episode three, what we wanted to do is go over and talk about common terminology in games. Mm-hmm. And we're talking things like, what the heck is a meeple? Obviously, it's a meat people. Right. What is a meeple? What is a, a tableau builder? What is a Euro game? What is a Ameritrash? Like... There's all these common terminologies, LCG versus a CCG. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of jargon in this this hobby and and in the industry. So what we want to talk about is kind of to detangle that, kind of give a lexicon of sorts, a little baseline knowledge. Now, if you're in the hobby and you probably know most of this stuff by now, but if you are new to the hobby or have only been in it for a handful of years... There might be some terms you haven't heard for before. Um, I'm always learning new ones too, just as I'm learning more things about games and development and the the deeper, darker, deep side of things. And I definitely know all the terms, but I am going to make sure that Justin explains them all uh, for your benefit as the listener. I don't know if they believe you. 
I don't know if I believe me, but I'm going to fake it till I make it. Sounds like a plan, so until next time. This is Ricky. And this is Justin. Happy rolling. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.